0: And so I would always tell people, you know, if you're serious about something, you should always ask for help.
1: You have to be your biggest fan. And when things are really tough and they're really rough and nothing's working, but there's something inside of you that says, I just have to follow that because you don't know who What's up, everybody? My name is Luis, and welcome to the third episode of Creatives and Business Podcast. Today, we have Elroy Johnson on the show. Elroy Johnson is from Dallas, Texas. He is a published freelance photographer with a passion for documenting humanity and telling stories. His website is ejmultimedia.com. I'll leave a link to his various social platforms in which you can find Elroy and his work in the description. Thanks for coming on, Elroy. How are you? I'm
0: going good. Thanks for inviting me. Definitely glad to be able to talk with you and uh, have a
1: conversation. Absolutely. That's exactly what this is. Conversing and talking about what we do and you know, getting insight into each other's world and helping everybody get an insight into uh, what you do and hopefully learning a thing or two.
0: Definitely. Yes, sir. Well, I'm excited to share and where I can <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely. let's start with with you just kind of telling a little bit about um yourself,
0: yeah, um, so as you kind of gave a little nice intro there, um so yeah, I'm a based in Dallas, Texas, and so uh, t- i am a Texas native. I've lived in different areas um growing up, and then even in the earlier part of my i guess mid twenties I should say, and so uh, most recently, being Louisiana, which I have a lot of familiar roots there. So I kind of spent a lot of time between Texas and Louisiana, particularly. And so, which also kind of ties into a lot of what I'm passionate about in terms of documenting and work, particularly here in the South as well. But I am a freelance photojournalist. And so I've been able to work with uh, a number of different local and national publications to document stories or cover events. Um, and then, of course, I also do it. Uh, for clients as well. So I do event photography as well. And so photography in general is a passion of mine, a little bit more of a recent passion. I didn't always necessarily grow up doing it or uh, doing it in high school, but it's something I kind of fell into. And uh, ever since then, it kind of just has kind of sparked a whole lot of other different projects and something that's become a big part of my life now. So
1: very cool and yeah uh, you and I are both teachers as well
0: yes 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 I do uh teach secondary social studies for middle school history uh which actually I, we'll probably talk a little more about that later but that also does tie into a lot of my documentary work so I get to see a lot of the overlap of documentary work and teaching history in particular so
1: very cool you mentioned you got kind of got a late start into the this whole space but uh Um, What is it exactly? Was there one event that kind of sparked this photography and and filmmaking in you?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So I actually was teaching um, in Louisiana uh, and I was teaching in Baton Rouge at the time. And so that's where I first started teaching in Louisiana. And so on the weekend i just love to explore louisiana so for a couple of reasons it was just such a different place than texas and it's a very unique state if anyone ever has been or gets to go the culture is very um unique and different because it was a former french colony and spanish colony and so there's a rich creole history and culture there and at the same time my family's from there so i was really eager to really kind of explore louisiana more upfront and personal and so um, the weekends I would just go to different uh, villages or parishes as um, in Louisiana, there's parishes as opposed to counties, very similar, yeah. and just go explore. And so I would go with friends and normally I would start with just like a, literally a cell phone or my iPad at the time. Then I would take pictures, of, a lot of time nature and architecture. So whether that was bayous, and swamps or um, old cathedrals and buildings, there's uh, It was surrounded by more older architecture than I think I've ever been (laughs) in my life so I was just fascinating by like going up to a small church and realizing this building might be 200 years old and so I would just do that and then post it on an Instagram account um that I actually still have and use mainly for travel uh Bayou Lone Star is the name and I would just post it on there and kind of people would find it and like it and so I kind of got to connect with other uh, Louisiana Instagrammers. It's kinda of like, kinda of the earlier days of Instagram. So yeah. it looked a little bit different. It was much different than it is now. And a lot of people, uh, especially then were really like photographers, they're really into like photograph ph- uh photographing things and documenting things and so um so yeah, so literally it was just kind of a, a fun getaway uh to use. It's a document what I was experiencing in Louisiana. And it literally started the cell phone and then the iPad and then I got some little kinda camera I can't remember what it was at the time and so I did all of that before really kind of getting more serious when I moved back to Texas but, uh, but yeah so Louisiana was kind of the place where I really fell in love with photography
1: so uh, what was your first paid gig
0: that is a, a good question I was trying to think my first paid gig I think yeah it was actually back in Dallas so I moved back to Dallas and I had two early paid gigs I can think of uh, one was a couple, I think that found me through some online, like, uh, like photography or service or something like that. And I was able to, um, uh, do a shoot for them, an engagement session. And then the other actually was some friends that had just moved to Dallas and I literally got a text from them one day saying, Hey, we found this Groupon, we booked you. And I was like, Oh, you found my Groupon. And I was kind of like the joke. Like, yeah, we booked you and you know, um, we need to do this photo shoot. So that was like one of my first, um, Shoes are doing, and so that was really cool. I was really nervous, I was like spending time trying to watch every video I could around lighting and natural lighting and all that kind of stuff um, before I did it. But, uh, yeah, but those are like some of the early, early, uh, paid gigs. So,
1: what is let's talk a little bit about your your published work. Do you have a, a favorite piece of work that you have had published?
0: Yeah, so, um, I not a hundred percent sure if I would just say like the one I've had like different pieces come to mind for different reasons. Right. Um So I kind of well, to kind of back it up a little bit. So I moved back to Dallas, with, you know, and I kind of struggled with how I wanted to pursue photography because in Louisiana I have been documenting so much of the nature and architecture. In Dallas was different. So like um, you know it's a bigger city. So. I couldn't necessarily just like drive and, you know, go to the bayou mm-hmm. or something. And so I was trying to figure out how I want to document and what I want to document here. And so eventually I was like, Well, I guess I could document people in storytelling. Yeah. And so I started documenting a lot of things here, um, a lot of social justice movements going on. So, uh, whether that would be uh Black Lives Matter and just different um social justice movements and protests are really important Mm -hmm. and you know this is like around 2015 so this is very um you know uh, a very important time period uh when you think of some of these movements and so I started documenting and then I would literally um try to figure out how I could work with local publications to do more of this and so I would literally just go and kind of uh go to different like um areas and just show up to people's like office and say hey can I maybe, you know, do something with you or do something here. And that kind of started my early conversation with local publications and uh trying to team up with them. But I would actually just publish my stuff on Facebook or anywhere people would want to look and listen. And then um and then from there I was able to kinda uh talk with local publications and they were able to run my stories. But I think more recently it was two thousand and uh I seventeen uh, 2017 i was sorry 2018 i was able to work with pro publica which is a great um journalism um, organization that does a lot of really good investigative journalism work mm-hmm. and so i was able to they were doing a story in relation to black cancer patients not getting the same treatment and access to medicines as uh, their white counterparts and so i was able to document a lady here in the dallas area or, or closer to fort worth area and kind of document her story and help to bring that visual component to the story the journalists and reporters were working on. So pieces like that were really um, stand out important. Also, some folks may recognize the viral McKinney pool incident video that happened here in 2015 Uh of a girl at a swimming pool. So I was uh, in that area documenting a lot of that and that work was able to get published with the Huffington Post. So there's been a lot of different uh, stories and kind of events I've been um, able to work with and document and just, uh, like I said, I imagine one just stands out more than the others, but there definitely have been, um, pretty important moments. So, but yeah, those are a couple of them.
1: Man, that, that's cool. So, you know, how long have you been teaching by the way?
0: Yeah. So this is my eighth year teaching.
1: Okay. So yeah, you've been teaching in and out, correct?
0: Well, actually consistently. So yeah, I've been, uh, pretty much teaching out of college yeah <laughs>
1: very cool man same here um, so reason I'm asking is with the the current state of the internet photojournalism definitely looks different now than it looked you know 15 20 years ago for sure what is your current take on on the current state of photojournalism
0: yeah so it's actually interesting that you mentioned this uh, I'm actually a graduate student and so I was just writing um, a paper and doing some discussion Uh, with other uh, classmates around, uh, particularly like photojournalism and like the changing um, dynamic of journalism in general in our country Uh, now. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, so it definitely changed a lot. So, I mean, you know, if you go back to like the 90s, a lot of publications had their own staff of photographers they were sending out. And, um, you know, I think, you know, Chicago, one of their big main publications is Chicago – Um, one of their big publications in Chicago, I think around 2013, uh, let go a lot of their photographers, like their actual staff photographers. And so then they kind of, and a lot of publications in general just transferred over to using freelancers, the Chicago Sun-Times, I'm sorry. Um, So they let go of their staff and and they're just one of many publications that have kind of went to using a lot more freelancers. And so uh, in terms of the industry, I would say a lot of people that, do photojournalism now, do as freelancers. And so they're definitely gotcha. still staff photographers at major publications, but I think it's definitely freelancers and so there's definitely different sides to that. Um, you know, there's a lot of publications that cover stories um internationally or nationally, so there might not necessarily just be a local brand publication or online media platform. Right. So they might be based in Dallas, but they might be running a story out of Kansas City. So then they wanna reach out to photographers there that are in the area to be able to do those stories. So you have a lot of publications like that to date I think especially with social media mm-hmm. um, we have the ability to see what's going on and up to date in areas outside of just our immediate you know, city or town. Right. So because of that a lot of stories are getting covered all over the place from media outlets that are from all over the place if that makes sense. But yeah, um, but yeah so things have definitely changed and even on top of that you know citizen journalism is definitely growing and A lot of times people, you know, could be at the right place at the right time. And then it's not, you know, unheard of, uh, you know, people having their work, uh, kind of how I got started, to be honest. Um, Sometimes being at certain places in a publication, seeing your, you know, content go, you know, on social media and maybe getting a lot of traction that they want to see they can publish it on their platform. So you see a lot of that happening now with social media. So if something big is happening, in Los Angeles and someone who's there experiencing it or whatever puts it up on Twitter. Um, and you, you know, I remember in Phil, you will have editors who might tweet the person saying, I'm trying to contact you and they might want to actually reach out to be able to interview that person or use their content to publish on their website. And so a lot of things have definitely changed um, through social media. So freelance photojournalism is a really big thing to even utilizing citizen journalists a lot now.
1: So. Gotcha. Would you say that, um photojournalism has helped you has it been kind of i've heard that photojournalism is kind of a good training grounds for anyone getting into photography because you're just continually shooting people shooting you know things what what do you have to say about that
0: definitely i think um i'm not sure if i completely understood that when i decided that um i had got um i have a mentor photographer and so and one thing i remember him telling me early on when i first got it was trying to get serious about photography i would reach out to more established photographers in huh. the city of Dallas. And so I uh, try trying to learn from them. And advice I was giving was like kind of figure out where in photography you think you really want to kind of um, focus, you know, it's a lot in photography, right? Fashion, right. there's weddings, there's portraits and photojournalism. And that really spoke to me because I wanted to uh, really get into the space of storytelling and, right. you know, documenting important events. Um, and so kind of what you're saying in terms of photojournalism, I don't think I knew it at the initially the time, but yeah, that is probably some of the best training for people who want to get into photography because you literally are kind of have to learn how to do all of it. So like for photojournalism, you have to learn how to document quick moving events, whether that's could so be potentially like a sports event. It could be a protest. Um, you also have to be able to put, you know, potentially do portraits. You know, I might be commissioned to do portraits of people to go into a publication. So with photojournalism, if you can kind of understand photojournalism and really get into that space where uh, you're kind of learning how to document and work with all different types of facets of human life, then that really can propel you into a lot of areas it's not uncommon to hear uh, wedding photographers who are really successful come from a photojournalism background Interesting, because they're used to being able to document events and tell stories. And yeah. um, especially nowadays, um, a lot of people looking at wedding photographers love a story to be told. And that's right. what photojournalists do. Like, you know, telling a story where there's something very small that might seem very, you know, simplistic to some people and really being able to tell a story visually um, and being able to really, you know, spread it out step by step. So, uh, but yeah, so long story short, um, that is a, to me, I find that to be a very true statement that uh, photojournalism definitely prepares you for a lot of aspects of photography.
1: Let me ask you, what what would you tell the 18 to 22-year-old to budding photographer? What advice do you have for um, someone entering the industry or wanting to enter the industry?
0: Definitely. I would say one thing, constantly keep... Um, you know, working on your craft, always, 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 um, the nice thing about today, I mean, even for myself being, of, you know, learning this, um, trait and skill, you know, within in the past really, you know, uh, five to six years that we have technology. So utilize that as your advantage, right. So, right. um, you can always be learning. So I used to watch tons of YouTube videos about every type of scenario, whether it be lighting to, um, you know, there's tons of videos of, you know, well-established published photojournalists How do they, you know, put themselves in the um or how do they like not put themselves in the middle of a story to really be able to document it in a very intimate way. Um and also would say definitely reach out to people. So I reached out to established photographers. I think sometimes um I'm speaking as a millennial that sometimes we kinda get into our space and go Mm -hmm. without maybe looking at people who have been doing it for much longer and really you know, learning from them. So I'm really big on learning from folks who have more experience than I have, so, you know, I was able to talk to photographers who've been doing it for 20 years, and so um, they've seen a lot of changes, and um, and also they have a lot of knowledge, especially because so many of us are learning um, these skills in um, art technology with new technology, so a lot of times right. they're doing it before digital cameras really came into play, and so that taught them a whole different way of really kind of toning in on their skill to be able to do their work. And so, of course, technology is a that, but just learning from them. So I would definitely tell people to reach out to folks who've been doing it longer, learn from them, try to find mentorship that way, utilize technology and constantly, constantly be working on your craft and looking for people to give you that critical feedback. Um, I remember getting some critical feedback one time when I thought I was ready (laughs) to have some work shown at like a – a gallery and um and the feedback was, you know, a uh, little bit more for me to continue to focus on and grow and I really took that to heart and um and so then I got a lot better. But yeah, so look for people to be honest and really um be able to look at your work and um and tell you know, tell you about your work in the areas you can grow in. So I constantly, you know, will reach out to people maybe in our space who might look at my work with a little bit of a different angle than someone who might not be looking at in the same way, just to get that feedback.
1: So, very good. Yeah, I, you know, I believe in mentorship, and I, I believe in everything you're saying. I, I know that it's, you know, there, there definitely is um, an upside to asking for help. I just know that a lot of times we don't want to ask. It's hard to ask for help. Mm. What tip would you give uh, to someone that might have um, a hard time asking for help?
0: Yeah. So. I think, um, and this comes, I guess, from both ends, right, like as a photojournalist and even as an educator, mm-hmm. um, you know, help, I think sometimes we might view that as a sign of like saying, hey, I really am not, um, it's kind of like, it gets too vulnerable for us, that's a good way to put it again. Uh-huh. like, you know, I really don't know what I'm doing, I really don't get this, but at the same time, like, I feel the strongest people, whenever. whatever or area we're thinking about have to ask for help because to me it's a sign of strength, great strength, right? This right. is a sign of I'm really trying to get this. I want to get better at this. I'm really trying to learn. And so I always tell people, you know, if you're serious about something, you should always ask for help, you know, because that's a telltale sign. If you're serious about something, you really want to get get it right. You want to get better at it. Ask for help. So don't be shy or um, worried about doing that or intimidated about doing that because that's how you get better And so, um, so yeah, I always encourage people to do that.
1: Right. And nine times out of 10, there's, there's more resources waiting for the person that asks for help than they probably would even imagine.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you just, I mean, Google it, there's so many, I mean, people are making, you know, a lot of their platform, um, essentially being a resource guy for a lot of questions in whatever industry it is. So, you know, it's not just you, a lot of us need to, you know, uh, learn things and grow from things. So um, that's a part of being human is having questions and so and asking for help and growing. That's what's part of life.
1: Love that. I, I love that it's a, a sign of strength versus a sign of weakness. That's really good. Definitely. Let's let's shift and, and let's talk a little bit about uh, the Oak Cliff documentary. You want to talk a little bit about that?
0: Definitely. So um, Oak Cliff, uh, one of my great loves, <laughs> it's a neighborhood here in Dallas. It is a southwest part of the city of Dallas, so it's a geographically a uh, very large area, and so it's a big, big chunk of Dallas. You get Dallas and kind of look at it, and just um, Google, type clip. It's a big chunk of the city, mm-hmm. and so with that said, I uh, several years ago I knew I wanted to do a long-term project documenting something, and I, you know, I really wanted to, I uh, was, you know, kind of get into more. Photojournalism and documentary photography, and I was like, I want to do something that can just constantly document. I don't necessarily have an end date. I just want to document something, and so, um, and so I told with a couple ideas, and but it came to me, well, why don't I document Oak Cliff? The, the neighborhood, cool. particularly, is um, important to me. Is where my both my dad and my mother's family. Um, came to during the mid 20th century. So kind of on the the heels of the great migration, a lot of African-American families are moving um, from rural areas. Uh, we often think about them moving from rural areas to like the north and the west, but mm-hmm. even in the south, a lot of them moved to major cities. And so both my dad and mother, uh, their father's family come from picking cotton. And so the grandparents on both ends were doing that and playing, so came to Dallas like many other African American families and eventually settled in Oak Cliff and so my family's been there for uh quite some time now and I lived in a lot of places growing up and so we constantly came back to Oak Cliff so it became like a really like a home familial place for me. Right. And so I was like, why don't I just document this neighborhood and so I just literally started to documented and so the very early photos was literally me taking my camera and um taking photos of my grandmother in the kitchen <laughs> cleaning or cooking that's to, very cool um i have a lot of friends there so i remember of my friends was um during his uh birthday party um i was like hey can i take photos of you know you and your family at your birthday party like yeah come you know do that to uh, literally um having co-workers saying hey our church is having their 100 30th anniversary, and I would go document that. And so then, once I kind of started doing it, and people knew what I was doing around the neighborhood, I would get invited to a lot of these uh, into a lot of these great spaces, and to really document the neighborhood. And I think it also became really uh, important to me because the neighborhood is changing a lot. So like as many major cities across the country, gentrification is a big deal in Dallas. And mm-hmm. So the neighborhood is constantly changing. And so even within the what uh, seems to be a very short amount of time that I've been documenting the neighborhood. You know, there are places and spaces that I've photographed that look very different now. So in many ways, it's also kind of creating this documentation of what Oak Cliff. Um, it's kind of like what I really know it to be like, what a lot of people know it to be like. Especially as it's going through great changes now, as yeah. well as to document uh, communities that particularly don't always get documented and that have not always gotten the same type of uh, focus. And so I wanted to be able to. particularly tell these stories of communities of color in the neighborhood, um, through a different lens. So, yeah.
1: How did you make the, when did you make the shift from photo to video or, or has that always kind of been part of, of the discovery of photography?
0: Yeah. So, um, so uh, so yes, I do. We we're definitely adding a video component, but it's still very photography based. Right. So, um, so yeah, so they still do. We still do um, both. And so, constantly publishing stories and things going on through photography on our social media channels. Uh-huh. But it hasn't. I don't. I want to say it was like initially the um, the first thought because I was just. Um, doing photography initially, but I think as I kind of did more photography, I realized I wanted to also incorporate being able to have these conversations with people mm-hmm. and let people hear So that way, I wanted you know people who are from the neighborhood to be able to talk to their own experiences and, um, and be able to you know tell their own you know life stories or mm-hmm. what they're doing in the neighborhood. And so, video became really um, important to me to try to do that, and so, um. And so I guess it's been about maybe somewhere around 2017 uh, started to get uh, started to team up with videographers. So I myself, I'm definitely a photographer and definitely do the work as directing and producing. But I um, am not a skilled videographer by any means, so I've been able to team up with videographers here locally who really appreciate the mission to document this community and tell the stories um, um, of people in these communities are marginalized communities. And so we started doing interviews with different individuals, uh, people who have, uh, businesses or put on festivals and then be able to start telling that in the same way. So the Oakland documentary now kind of allows people a visual component through photography of the life in the neighborhood, as well as now we're adding new videos so people can hear the voices of the community. So whether it's one of my favorite taquerias and kind of hearing the, the the voices of the owners and the family story behind it, or going to um, we have a big reggae festival hearing about the people who put it on from their voices to how it got started so people can really get a a sense of Oak Cliff and um, even doing audio interviews so uh, my grandmother's used to me uh, grabbing out a mic and sending her down and having her talk and she's um, um, done you know really kind of opened up and telling about her story she was one of the first uh, black families on her street at the time she was moving to Oak Cliff. It was, uh, you know, there was very few African Americans in the area, and so and as a lot of African Americans moved in white flight took and so it took in place and so things changed very quickly And so kind of hearing her stories about that and what it was like to be um a black woman you know in the 50s and 60s in Dallas like what kind of jobs could they get and what type of work did they do what type of um from the prejudice that they faced and you know what that was like so I really want to make sure that people could also hear these voices and so it added a nice element, another element to just the photos. be have to also hear the voices and stories of people who call the neighborhood home.
1: You know, you mentioned that you like the element of story. You know, you found, you know, great content to shoot, great content to document. What advice would you have for somebody that, that wants to find a story? What like, but they can't really put their finger on something that they want to document.
0: Yeah. that's a really uh, good question. I think that's a, a question that um a lot of us think about. I think whether you're a photographer, videographer, um, and writer, so a lot of us in this kind of storytelling space is um what to document. I know for me, I kinda um like I said, I spent some time before I had the Oakland documentary started, I was torn with other ideas and I really kinda feel like what am I going to try to do? I just felt like I you know, I feel like, you know, photography photojournalism is definitely a part of my calling, right? like what mm-hmm. do I um, need to do uh, what should I be documenting? I was like, so it's kind of going back and forth. And so what I did is really just kind of looked at my own life and my immediate surroundings. And so there were so many stories here that I just never saw or heard of, or there's so many different perspectives that, um, I just know a lot of people never saw. And so, and for me in particular, you know, I have, like I said, strong family connections to Oak Cliff. Um, but a lot of times, the media, especially growing up, the media around the neighborhood and coming out of the neighborhood was, you know, not always the positive or paint the neighborhood in a certain, you know, um, wide, right. uh, you know, stroke. And so I was like, well, let me, you know, document and put out in the world the Oak Cliff that I know and then the people that who make this place home. And so for me, it was kind of looking at my immediate surroundings and looking for that story that is important to tell. And so, whether you know, so a lot of the work I do um, is very personal. I think a lot of times, whether that's a lot of the stuff I've been able to be published in, or the work that I'm doing as uh, my own project, Oakland documentary, a lot of it ties into uh, things that um, are part of my experiences, or experiences of the people that are close to me, or a part of the community that I'm a part of. And a lot of times, that is um, where a lot of those stories and uh, moments great moments that I'm able to document come from because there's a certain type of connection there. And so I think it's just about finding what is true for you and what uh, speaks to you um, and kind of starting there. I think a lot of people that I admire, whether they be writers or photographers or um, anything of that nature, a lot of times their work that I really admire them for, they often have a very personal connection to it because a part of maybe their lived experience, maybe it's their neighborhood or where they come from or part of their family story. And so I think um, that can be always a starting place to figuring out what's something that's really important to you and to your lived experience.
1: That's that's very good. Yes. Yeah, start with what you know. That's that's really powerful do you want to kind of speak about, uh, earlier you mentioned that, uh, you might touch on the fact that you're a teacher and that you're involved with students. Um, did you want to kind of touch on that real quick?
0: Yeah. So, um, I think a cool thing about being in this space of like documentary work and filmmaking, um, as a history teacher is that, um, to try to add some resources to the classroom. And so, um, I actually find a lot of overlap. I think the Yeah, cool thing about being a history. I love the content I teach, and so in history, we really rely on a lot of these uh, primary sources, like that we can use that we teach history through. And so, the best way of learning about something is learning it from a person uh, directly. And so, there's a point of year we talk about like sharecropping and uh, what life was like for African Americans after um civil war ended so you know through reconstruction really deep into the 20th century uh-huh. um like i said my grandparents um you know picked cotton so it very much you know for a lot of us until really recently and so i uh, a couple years ago I actually went back to louisiana uh, to the parish my fam my mother's family's comes come from and I actually got to speak to someone there who grew up on the plantations there, sharecropping. And so I did an interview with them on Juneteenth. And for those who may not be familiar, Juneteenth um, is the Emancipation Day for African-Americans. So it's an important holiday uh, for the black community. Right. And so on that day, we got to sit at the actual plantation he grew up on. Uh, we sat and in the, in, there was only two sharecropper ha- houses left on the plantation that were formerly slave cabins, and one of them was the one his uh, sister lived in, and she was actually a cook for um, the family um, that owned the plantation. So we're sitting, so it's a really powerful moment, because we're sitting in front of, on this porch, and he's telling me his entire story and kind of painting this picture of what it was like to grow up on you know in these plantations and then personally this is the area my family's from So i'm also getting good visual uh-huh. of what life would have been like for my family in this area around this time period but then from asking these stories from getting knowledge about sharecropping you know how were children of plantations able to go to school or when they can go to school what was family structure like what were the food ways like how they celebrated a moment like juneteenth and so I'm interviewing him, and I have all this um you know audio and taking photos, and I put it into like an actual um interview so it's an audio interview that's overlaid with these photos, and then I'm able to come back and actually play in the class. I'm like, well, let me actually play this very and cool. so then it becomes very different right as opposed to uh, maybe me just kind of giving a, a overview of sharecropping yeah. PowerPoint presentation, but let the students be able to actually hear someone who this is their lived experience, and so it just adds a whole totally different element when um, they get to hear that. Like if you think about you and I, I'm sure most of us might have had an experience, hopefully through our K-12 experience, where we got to hear from someone who might have had a really interesting story or connection with an important time in history and it just hits a little bit differently you hear from someone it as is. opposed to maybe just looking at it on the powerpoint because mm-hmm. this is someone's uh lived experience so yeah so i find a lot of moments like that and i'm hoping to do more moments like that to um tie into the classroom so i'm currently working on a lot more interviews with african-american elders to hopefully compile a larger database for uh students outside of my classroom to be able to really listen to, um, about life of African-Americans during a certain time period. So, yeah.
1: That is really cool. I, I like that. It, it remains educational, but it's, it's just that much more, what am I trying to say? Um, engaging just to have the video content yeah. versus death by PowerPoint or something like that.
0: Yeah,
1: definitely. From from the standpoint of conducting audio interviews, um, what, what tips would you have for somebody that maybe would be uh, conducting their first interview and maybe what have you learned through conducting several interviews with, um, different subjects?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, always, you know, people go immediately into the equipment. So if you have good equipment can invest in uh, some good equipment, that is definitely great. Um, you know, I haven't spent too much money in audio equipment cause you know, they're really kind of not too expensive. You can definitely get some pretty decent mics that, Um, to have a setup for uh, an audio interview. And so Mm -hmm. so I've been kind of doing that a lot more at these audio interviews. Um, One thing I would definitely say is definitely just make sure that everything sounds clear. So oftentimes I'm about to do an audio interview with someone. I'll do a quick test and just, you know, get their voice level, me talking on it for a second, and then play it back really quickly just to make sure... That is clear because I know I'm often dealing with people and their time is very precious, and so right. I don't want to sit. and I, I've had moments actually. Now that I think about it, I was old crew documentary, I was doing an audio interview, and it did not sound well. When I like, I think it might have been my one of my very first, if not the first, audio interview that I did, and then kind of getting back home and listening to it, I'm like, oh, it's so much noise. You can't really hear the person saying, mm-hmm. and then trying to send it off to people who know audio better, and they're struggling with it. And so you definitely want to save that hassle, especially because some people you might not be able to uh, loop around and do that interview and kind of have that same energy again. And so I was in DC for the this past summer, and so like I'm from Dallas, so I did um, you know some interviews up there to try to get some documentation of people's experience, right. um, you know, growing up in a different part of the country. And so that would not be easy to just go back and get if I you know have that audio. So yeah, so definitely checking out that audio and making sure that that is clear and then kind of moving forward from there and just really like what you're doing. Let people know we're just kind of having a conversation. And so um, just always kind of making sure the person I'm interviewing is really relaxed and and then we just have a conversation and as things progress, it becomes that and you get a lot of rich stories from it, but uh, you definitely want to make sure that audio is clear and then, uh, for me, I do like the sound of just natural environment, and that might come from my documentary side. So, like when I did the um, interview um, with uh, Mr. Shields, uh, is his name, and the uh, plantation back in Louisiana. And we actually did it, like I said, outside of the porch. So it was really cool because you hear the nature outside. So nice. you hear, you know, like insects and stuff. And for me, it's actually a really nice touch because it kind of places you in the actual space and where the interview is um, happening. And so, uh, done that and then I've done it you know interviews on outside in D.C. so you have the city noises and so uh, I personally like that but you definitely want to make sure you obviously can really have that clear crisp audio from your subject though.
1: What are you most excited about you know moving on here with with your craft and your um, your storytelling What what's something that you're excited about in the future?
0: Yeah I'm just excited um, and it's not just pertaining to me but just in general I just feel like it's a really good time for creatives um there's a lot of i see a lot more diversity with people different experiences or creatives of color and people just really telling their stories and documenting um you know things we have not always seen And so i'm just eager and excited to be able to put out and you know the world and document more stuff that um you know not as hasn't been documented as much before and being able to put out new content and so i'm just really excited about everything that we're seeing creatively um in our time and day and age so
1: very cool hey man well i just wanted to i just want to say thank you for coming on the show again i really enjoyed the conversation i i really want to continue the conversation maybe i'll we'll bring you back on the show at some point what do you think
0: yeah definitely i'm definitely open to it and thanks for inviting me and i think what you're doing is great uh and speaking of, you know, advice to people, this is one of those places to go to, right? So you could uh, go and listen to people kind of share their journeys, and this is a great learning tool. So I think it's great what
1: you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's good to, you know, just to to lift people up, you know, and just to speak positivity. And, you know, we're, as creatives, I feel like uh, sometimes we feel like we're up against the wall. So Um, It's nice to share stories uh, because we all have our ups and downs. We have, you know, there's dips sometimes, but um, overall we're on a journey and it's good to learn from other people. So, um, hey, before we say goodbye, um, remind me of some links or some uh, maybe some social outlets that you're on that uh, people can find out about the Oak Cliff documentary or just any other work that you're uh, a part of right now.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so the Oak Cliff documentary, it lives on Facebook and Instagram heavily. Uh, so you can just live on Facebook, type in Oak Cliff documentary, and then it's uh, similar similar on Instagram, just at Oak Cliff doc, uh, documentary, and it'll come up there as well. My personal Instagram is at E. Johnson IV, and so people can follow me there, and I'll be posting. um um work and I'm currently – working on another actual short film with the Oak Cliff Documentary, so we'll kind of post updates on both the Oak Cliff Documentary Instagram and Facebook as well as my personal Instagram, and then most of my other work uh, definitely lives online, at like I think you said at the beginning of the segment, but mm-hmm. um, EJ Multimedia, and so ejmultimedia.com, and so people can definitely find my work there as well.
1: Awesome, man, well thanks again, yeah, and go, go check out Elroy's stuff. He's got a really cool aesthetic. That's something you'll notice. It's very unique. Well, thank you. I definitely appreciate it. And thanks again for having me on.